open your Bibles, we are going to continue in our study through this wonderful 23rd Psalm, Psalm 23. And as you're turning there, just a couple questions this morning. What time of day was Adam created? A little before Eve, of course. Why didn't they play cards on the ark? Because Noah was always standing on the deck. Who was the first tennis player in the Bible? That would be Joseph. The Bible says that he served in Pharaoh's court. Joseph the tennis player. See, all this wisdom you guys haven't had all these years. Amen. Anyhow, 23rd Psalm. This morning we're going to talk about a table prepared. And a question for you. Did you know that Satan wants each and every one of us to see God in a negative light? Satan does not want us to see God's goodness. He doesn't want us to see his grace and his kindness. He wants us to see God negatively. Why? So he can deceive us. So he can deceive us into sin, and that's exactly what he did with Eve in the Garden of Eden. Satan posed this question to Eve to paint a negative light of God. He said, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, Satan knew that that wasn't true the way he posed the question, but he did it on purpose. God actually told Adam and Eve that they could eat of every tree, freely eat of every tree with only one exception. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty gracious to me. That sounds pretty kind. Think of all the fruit-bearing trees that ever existed on the face of this earth, and they had free reign to it. But Satan wanted to paint God in a negative light, and Satan took God's generosity and he twisted it. He wants to paint God in a negative light, and he's still doing it today with each and every one of us. He's trying to do the same thing with us. He wants to deceive us into seeing God as that, you know, God is that fun spoiler. You know, as a Christian, you can't have fun. You know, he wants us to see God as that, as that you can't do that type of God, or you can't go there type of God. You shouldn't say that type of God. Amen? That's what Satan is trying to do. He wants us to falsely see God in that light. Instead of us, uh, uh, you know, he wants us to see God as, as, you know, making us do things. You know, you have to do this, or you have to be here, or you have to say that. He wants us to see God as making us do these things to get into heaven, instead of us wanting to do them because we're already heaven-bound. Amen? That's what Satan is trying to do. That's how Satan is trying to paint a picture in our mind of who God is. Keep that in mind as we look at this 23rd Psalm this morning. Let's pick up in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. As we've been going through this, this beautiful 23rd Psalm, there's no doubt, and especially this, this fifth verse in particular, it is jam-packed with the goodness and the kindness of our precious Lord. And I want us to, to set the foundation for this, for this great verse in, in verse 5. I want us to kind of look at the foundation here. And the first thing I want us to see is a table prepared. Amen? A table prepared. It says, you prepare a table before me. You prepare. Who is that you? You is the same Lord in verse 1. You is Jehovah. Jehovah Jesus. Remember, Jehovah of the Old Testament is the same Jesus of the New Testament. Jehovah Jesus is the one who has set that table before you and before me. Amen? Isn't that a wonderful thought? Now, think about your house. Who sets the table there? That depends on who's coming over, right? Amen? If it's normal family, then anybody can set it. But when company's coming over, that's when mom takes charge. Amen? That's when mom takes charge, moves everybody out of the way. No paper plates, no plastic spoons or forks, no styrofoam cups. That's when the good china comes out, the nice shiny silverware, and the crystal glasses. Right? Then we tell our guests, uh, we're not fancy here. You'll just have to accept us the way we are, right? And now we do it. We get our best stuff out and tell them we're not fancy. Just accept us the way we are. But seriously, why do we do that? Why do we go through all that trouble when we have, when we have guests coming over? It's to honor our guests, right? It's to show honor to those guests that are coming over. And we're told here in this, in this wonderful psalm that almighty sovereign God has prepared a table for you and for me. He loves us, loves us dearly, and he wants us to be his special guest. A table prepared. Next, we see an anointed head. You anoint my head with oil. Now, in Bible times... In Middle Eastern wealthy homes, they kept an expensive uh, container, an expensive vase of perfumed oil, and it would be kept right next to their door. And when a beloved guest would come over, they would be greeted with the customary kiss, you know, on both cheeks and, and hugs, and then the man of the house, he would grab that container of perfumed oil. And he would put it on the head and the face and the hair of that beloved guest. Not only would it refresh that guest, but it would also make the entire house smell great. Give you a little picture here. Luke chapter 7. In verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and Jesus went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. 
And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with, her hair, with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet, and anointed them with a fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Skip down to verse 44. Then Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased kissing my feet since, she, since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Jesus was letting Simon the Pharisee know. He was saying, look, Simon, you didn't show this kind of reverence. This kind of respect to me, and yet this woman who you just labeled as a sinner, as a no good, worthless sinner, she has shown me more reverence than you have. You didn't even treat me as an honored guest when I came into your home. That's the picture that, that Jesus is painting here in verse 7. This anointing of the head with oil. Proclaimed just how special you were when you entered that home. And Jesus is telling us that same thing in this wonderful psalm when he said, you anoint my head with oil. That's what David was declaring about his Lord. Third thing I want us to see to, to set the foundation for this uh, wonderful psalm in verse 5 in particular is an overflowing he said, my cup runs over. You have to think back in, in Bible times. They didn't have a bunch of hotels and, and restaurants on every corner like we have. You know, when, when we read about the Christmas story and, and how, how uh, uh, Mary and Joseph, they were turned away because there was no room for them in the inn. You know, an inn in those days really isn't an inn like we think it is. It was more or less people's homes. And an inn in those days were normally someone's house. They had an extra room that they rented out and they called it an inn. But one thing that they did have, they had something known as the law of hospitality. That means that it was understood that if you were traveling and you stopped at a stranger's house and you asked them for food, they were obligated to open up their home and give you something to eat. So now suppose that you were traveling and, and that or, or you had a home and, and, and that stranger in you, you, you kind of hit it off. Amen? And you stirred up a friendship. When that stranger opened up their home to you, you, you stirred up conversation and, and you connected with one another. If you stirred up that type of friendship, that host would go into their kitchen and grab a pitcher 
and he would fill your cup to the brim and then let it pour over the brim. And what that meant was that you were now welcome to stay longer if you wished. You were no longer a stranger in that home. Now you were a welcomed guest of honor. Now on the flip side, if the host came and only filled your cup halfway, he was telling you it's time to move on. Keep going. You've outstayed your welcome. But if he poured it to the brim and then let it overflow, that meant you were a welcomed guest of honor. And that's the picture that David is painting here in this wonderful psalm. He's saying that Jesus Christ, our Savior, has prepared a table for us in our honor. He has anointed our head with oil to show how much he loves us. And he has filled our cup to overflowing to let us know just how special we are. To let us know that special place in his heart that we hold. Amen. That's what this beautiful verse is talking about. Over and over in the Bible, you'll see where Jesus calls us friend. Amen? I read somewhere that someone once said, a friend is someone who is at your side even before you call them. Listen, you don't think negatively towards a true friend, do you? Amen? And Jesus is the truest friend we will ever have. Jesus, the friend of sinners who died in our place. Friend, listen, don't ever let Satan try to paint a negative picture in your mind about our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now that we have this prepared table, I want us to see a few things about this table as a as they really tie into Jesus Christ himself. The first thing I want us to see is how fulfilled we are in Christ. How fulfilled we are in Christ. Jesus and he alone can satisfy that longing in our heart. Amen? That natural void that we have in our heart can only be fulfilled by Jesus Christ himself. The Bible, God's word, is just one continual feast from, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Amen? Think of all the meals the Bible tells us about Jesus preparing for his disciples. I can't help but think of when Jesus multiplied those two fish and those five loaves to feed that, that 5,000 multitude that had gathered. What did he do? He prepared a table of replenishment. They had 5,000 that had gathered, and they only had what? Two fish and five loaves. They ran out. They didn't have enough. But Jesus came, and he prepared a table of replenishment. How many times has he done that for us? Amen? When we've run out. When there's just too much month at the end of the money, amen, we run out. When we open up the cupboard and there's not enough food to get us through the end of the week, we run out. 
Men, how many times have we run out of resources? And how inadequate did that make us feel as the man of the house? And then out of nowhere, Jesus came along and he prepared a table before us. Amen. A table of replenishment. We didn't deserve it, but we sure did need it. Amen. I can't tell you how many times the wallet's been empty, but somehow, some way, every need was still met. Every single need was still met. That's a God thing, isn't it? That's a Jesus thing. How? Because he set that table of replenishment before us. Not only does he set a table of replenishment, but he also prepares a table of restoration. A table of restoration. Go to John chapter 21. The gospel of John chapter 21. I think of... You know, when I, always when I hear the word restoration, other than myself, the second person that pops into my head is Peter. That rough, gruff fisherman Peter. The one who denied Jesus three times. Then we read, we pick up here in John chapter 21. This is after Christ's crucifixion. After he was put in a grave and on the third day rose from that grave. It says in verse 1, now after these things, it's talking about after the crucifixion, after his resurrection, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we're going to go with you also. So they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, now that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, the disciple John, he said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged right into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have caught. Now I want you to, to think about that incredible picture there. I want you to consider that setting. They'd been out all night long. They were discouraged. They were 
you know, they were still perplexed. The man that they had spent the last couple years with proclaimed to be the Messiah. He had been crucified. He'd put in a grave. And now there's rumors of him appearing. And that night, Peter just said, I just need to get away. I'm going fishing. And the other disciples said, well, we'll come with you. They fished all night, and not one fish was caught. Nothing. But then as the light started to peer into the darkness, they look on that shore, and they see Jesus who prepared a table of fish and bread for them. Now, I want you to think about something. Where did that bread come from? I get the fish, amen? I, I understand he was right on the shore. I understand where the fish came from, but where did that bread come from? I'd like to think that Jesus was on that shore and he saw his disciples out fishing and he saw a little stone there and he turned it to bread just to slap Satan in the face and say, you see that, Satan? I'll turn the, uh, that stone to bread when I feel like it. Amen. When I feel like it. But after that long, dark, discouraging night of fishing, there was Christ with a table prepared. That lost night of fishing was now restored. Peter, who had denied Christ three times, he was restored and invited by Christ who said, Come and dine. Come and eat with me. How many times have we failed Christ? How many times have we let him down and praise him for preparing that table of restoration for each and every one of us? Amen. So Jesus prepares that table of replenishment, that table of restoration, and he also prepares that table of redemption. Consider that Passover meal that Jesus prepared just before he was crucified. We read in the scriptures, they tell us that he prepared the table. He broke the bread, he passed the cup. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Now that's important because we are able to sit around that table of remembrance. When we have the Lord's Supper, when we have communion together, we're able to gather around that table of remembrance because of what Jesus has done for us. But listen. The best table is yet to come. Look at Matthew chapter 26. Jesus said in verse 29, I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. What day is Jesus talking about here? That day is the day of the Lord. He's talking about the future wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen? 
That's what he's talking about. When he drinks it with us new in his father's kingdom, that is at the marriage supper of the Lamb. As a born-again believer, we are the bride of Christ, and Jesus is preparing a wedding feast for you and for me, and it's known as the wedding uh, or, or the marriage supper of the Lamb. He is preparing that table of redemption for his bride. Amen. Now I want us to consider how refreshed we are in Jesus. We're not just fulfilled in Christ, but we're also refreshed in him. David declared, he said, you anoint my head with oil. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible says old things are passed away. All things become new. We are that new creation in him. We've been cleansed of our sins. We've been washed white as snow. Our sins are gone. And we are refreshed by his Holy Spirit that abides, that lives inside of each and every born-again believer. Amen. We've been cleansed of our sins and we are refreshed by his Holy Spirit. And that refreshment ought to show in our service to him. How do we serve Christ? By serving one another. We shouldn't be out there serving each other with a sour face and, and acting like we just sucked on 10 lemons. Amen. Ah, I got to do this. I got to help them. I got to go over here. That's not refreshment. Amen. We serve Christ by serving one another, and we need to serve with that refreshed spirit of his Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the joy of his salvation. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Amen. Filled with the joy of the salvation of our Lord. That's what we need to be filled with. The Bible tells us that his mercies are renewed upon us. How often? Every morning. Amen. God's mercies are renewed upon us every morning. That means that every morning when we open our eyes, he anoints us. He refreshes us with new oil for that day. Amen. So that we can be a sweet fragrance to those around us, especially those who are still walking in darkness. We need to have a ministry of refreshment, not a sour face ministry. We need to understand that Jesus just gets sweeter and sweeter every single day. Everything else gets old, but Jesus just keeps getting better. Don't ever let Satan ruin that by deceiving you and, and trying to get you to think negatively of our precious Lord. Amen. Lastly, I want us to consider that freedom that we have in Christ. David said, my cup runs over. Jesus, our gracious host, he went and he grabbed that pitcher and he poured our cup to the brim and he's letting it flow over. Why? We read about it in James 1.17. 
because every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Amen. We need to understand that our Lord is not only the Lord of an open heart, but he's also the Lord of open hands who wants to give to us freely every single day. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. When is he talking about having that abundant life? Is he talking about in the future? He's talking about right now, today. Jesus came so that we can have an abundant life right now, today, on this side of eternity, because nothing compares to the other side. Amen? Jesus doesn't add years to our life. He adds life to our years. Abundant life. What was Jesus' first miracle? Anybody remember? He turned water into wine at the, at the wedding at Cana. Amen? Jesus turned water into wine. And let me tell you something. When Jesus turned it into wine, it just wasn't, you know, wine in the box. This was the best wine ever. Amen? The best wine ever. Many scholars estimate that Jesus made 120 gallons of wine out of the water that they had there. 120 gallons. They didn't need 120 gallons. Jesus was just letting them know, your cup is overflowing because I love you. Amen. Their cup ran over. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 with just those two fishes and, and those five loaves? That was not the end of the miracle, was it? The Bible tells us after the 5,000 were fed and they were all full, he sent the disciples around to, to gather up what was left over. What did they get? They ended up with 12 full baskets of leftovers. Amen? Their cup ran over. You see what David was declaring? Their cup ran over. We need to understand that everything about our precious Lord is above and beyond. Every single thing is above and beyond. The Bible tells us he gives peace. But it's not just any peace. It's a peace that passes all understanding, doesn't it? The Bible tells us he gives us joy. But it's not just any joy. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. He gives us life. And he's not just talking about life here, that abundant life. He's talking about giving us eternal life, never-ending life. In heavenly glory with him. Everything about our Lord is above and beyond. And out of his infinite goodness, out of his infinite kindness, he just keeps giving and giving and giving to us. Not that we deserve it, amen. But just because he loves us. And of all the wonderful gifts that we are given, 
none compares to what we receive that the Bible reveals. Isaiah chapter 55, first couple verses. says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. If we have no money, how can we buy? We can't. Yes, come. Buy wine and milk without money. Why? Because it's without price. It's free. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and you shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Friends, that is the greatest gift that we can ever receive. Isaiah is talking about that free pardon of sin, the free gift of salvation that we have. In that good shepherd, our precious Lord, Jesus Christ.